Woke up this morning with the sun down shining in him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Trip on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new so, uh, you know, that's what you, uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. There's just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f*** are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sun down. Well, we're back to Saxon Jacks. I'm Tom Andrew on the board. SP Future's down 32. Yeah, 32. That's good. NASDAQ futures down 128, so not a not a big start to the week. We've got Walmart uh, coming out and saying that they well they beat on revenue and they beat on uh, uh, profit, but the the chairman who evidently is not was not going for the party line said going forward he goes consumers balance sheets are shrinking uh, the savings are going down and the, going forward it doesn't look that great. Now I can't believe he said that. Do we have Mr. John Flanagan. <coughs> We do indeed. Good morning, Tom. Morning. It's supposed to be consumer is strong, economy strong, everything's great. Yeah. Some he didn't get the message. He, I guess. he obviously did not get the memo. I can't stand it when these people uh, <laughs> go against the party line. Oh, who who needs diversity of opinion these days? Oh, you know. can't do that. You want no part of that. We don't. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't think. I, don't, I was thinking. You know, John was. Uh, well, was a. A, a fu- another funeral weekend, unfortunately. But um, plus, when you, when you hang out at Audrey's, uh, all she does is work. <laughs> it's like she had all kinds of business going on. She's taking people for houses one day and something else the other day, and phones constantly ringing. And she's pretty busy, and she got some interesting people she's working with, and it's always kind of fun. But boy, it's uh, there's not a whole uh, the the amount of people. You know, I just uh, well, Brendan is. Uh, Nursing a, a laryngitis or something this morning, so we have Jan who missed yesterday because we were off. So Jan's going to cover for Brent. Thank you, Jan. And the I just you know this as you as you're bombarded by uh, you know city aldermanic stuff and mayoral stuff. By the way, who who's this new person I'm voting for? My my own person on the police review board. What the hell is that all about? Oh yeah, well, you know, to me it's it's kind of like the it's the latest iteration of the local school council fiasco where you're supposed to have some kind of say um, in you know how schools are staffed and administered and so on now you've got this layer of um, grassroots involvement with the police department and I, I have to say if it's anything like what what I've seen at caps meeting you know the community area policing where the the beat cops meet with the people on their beat and listen to their gripes Beat cops. Um, what are those? I, I haven't seen too many people I would want serving on any of these, you know, local outfits because I think all they will do is just waste the police time. They could be doing something else other than listening to these people who who don't have to have any expertise 
of any kind or understand the job at all. You don't have to have any what? expertise to be president, no. Well, well that, or anything else. Or anything else. <laughs> that could be a good thing, right. you know, given the skill set of, of some of the so-called experts that I see. But um, I worry that all of this stuff, you know, in, in the name of accountability for the police, it just means another way of waiting to, you know, cut their legs out from under them at the first sign of anything that you don't like. And there's enough of that in the media right now. I don't think really any police force needs this coming from some kind of hierarchy of elected people, given given what the track record is for these these elections lately, with participation so low. There's absolutely no, you know, distinction that I can see among the people I've, you know, tried to find out about in my area. I kind of know who I will vote for. But the others I wouldn't give you a nickel for, and yet, you know, who's to say who's going to win? Because it, it is just one of these under-the-radar campaigns. It's not a campaign at all. Well, we had uh, uh, Tina Honan last week, and she's running for alder person in the fifth ward. And I went through the list of long list of her opponents. You know, every every one of them's got somewhat of a resume, Jen. I mean, it's yep. uh, yeah. and you know what's what's interesting is that the uh, nobody's nobody's got any money. Well, one person who, who, who Eric says is the big, you know, obviously because he's got the dough. He's got 150 grand he's spending. I think Tina's like 14. A couple people in there are like five. So it's you know there, there's there's people that are running, and, and there are people that have most of them had you know they're a couple of them are like activists, a couple of them work for here or there, and a lot of them had governmental jobs or did uh, some stuff for some community groups or whatever. And had they have I'm not disparaging that I'm saying a uh, they have somewhat of a track record. It wasn't like they were sitting on the sofa for the last 25 years. I mean, uh, there are people that have some experience, certainly some experience with, uh, with you know, with people. I mean, in uh, in the different areas. I mean, Tina's got huge experience. I mean, it's not like these are these are schlumps that are. I mean, I think the people in my area aren't bad either. You know, it's not like. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, the 16 new people in the in the city hall might actually do some good. I mean, is it possible? I, you know, I agree with, with you know the the skill set for a lot of these candidates because sometimes they've been doing stuff for the last couple of weeks where they look at each automatic race every day or sometimes two of them and they have little squibs about each candidate and overall you you think gee there's a lot of, of talent out there and and some of these people are are you know showing their political interests and that's a good thing the trouble is of course the money angle. And in the kind of runoff situation we have, most likely the people who have the most are going to be the ones in the final two slots for the runoffs. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're the best or the most qualified, but, but we're already kind of beyond worrying about that. But I really, I that, go ahead, sorry. I, said, I really didn't see, well, I, I just, to be fair, I only looked at the two wards. Mine were, uh, um, how was her name, Wendy, Wendy Nation's, so her last name, she's got three names. You shouldn't have three names, two's enough. Wendy Nations Graham, I think is her name. Um, and she's she's real nice. She worked for uh, the other person, and she's uh, she might come out of the air this week. Um, and she was, I think, a victim of, you know, an assault yeah. on the brown line. Yeah. This is kind of what has motivated her. and um, I, I appreciate that kind of viewpoint in, in the election, because this is what the average person is saying. It's nice to have somebody running who's saying what a lot of people I know are saying too. This, things are kind of out of control. I, I'm I'm curious. I wanted to uh, ask you, and we'll bring 
kind of Andrew in this is, is a young man's uh, young person uh, happens to be a man uh, perspective is I don't think people understand the baseline of which we're coming from and I, I mean I tell you what Jan, I mean part of this is <coughs> having some experience notice I didn't say oh uh, having some experience when I listen to people all day long talk about inflation in the 70s and 80s when they weren't there they just, they just have no freaking clue what was going on I mean, I, I, mean I, I read a lot about World War II. It's not the same as if I was there. I mean, it's, you, know, you get this anecdotal stuff, you get somebody else's point of view. If you read enough, you get some sort of a point of view. And I obviously was lucky enough to talk to a lot of people before they all died that actually served there. <coughs> and I got somewhat of a point of view on that. You know, Rodri's dad made it to 97 or something, so I was able to, and he was in good, good sound mind all the way till the end. Uh, so I was able to bounce a lot of stuff off him, but... Still, it's, there's, there's, no ex- <clears throat> there's no experience. I mean, you can't tell anybody what it was like at Pearl Harbor when you weren't there. No. You can have somewhat of a, maybe a, an imagination about it, but maybe you saw the movie, you know, but other than that, I mean, really. But, uh, I mean, the baseline with these people, I'm, I'm, I'm all miffed because my niece and nephews get off, and I do too once in a while at that exit. Well, actually, we get off at 111th, but... The five people that got shot in the car at 115th Saturday night. Oh, yeah. Well, first it was reported it being the 111th exit. It turned out it was 115th exit. But it was my brother's just my, my niece goes, God, I get off that exit all the time at 11 o'clock at night. You know, this is the, the baseline here is when I was 12, I mean, people would say, there's guys out of When I was 12, my buddies and I used to take the, the, the bus or the L from the south side to see the Cubs. The thought of anybody having a gun or... You might bump into another 12-year-old and maybe get in a biff, you know, if, if you're a goofball. But the chances of you not being safe or somebody firing into the bus or anything like that, John, nobody even thought about it. it wasn't even on the radar, was it? I mean, not, now, now people think that this, this and, is... And, you know, I, my brother and I, and, you know, in high school, and, you know, we, we were always out and about in the city on... You know, every L line, every bus line, practically just kind of exploring sometimes, never getting into trouble, but, but doing stuff. And uh, my parents were not, like, naive people. They, they didn't think we were running a serious risk by doing this. Um, and, you know, I, they were, they had grown up on the south side, too. They knew what the stakes were and what the risks were, but they didn't think, it, you know, it was out of the ordinary to feel like you could get on a CTA bus and ride it to your destination and you know, expect to be shot along the way or robbed or anything else. Um, of course, that, that's all changed now. And, and i got to tell you, Tommy, I've been thinking about this with the election coming up, but I've, I've been concerned about what's happening in Chicago since before Lori Lightfoot was mayor. And, you know, this is not, this this is not just her. She's done a great job, but I think I'm, I'm much more sensitive to it now that I'm older and retired and feel vulnerable in every way. You know, that it's, it's just one you know, a false step between me and a broken hip and, you know, months in recovery or something. So I worry about this stuff in ways I never did before. But I didn't feel safe downtown 10 years ago or more just because I never saw any police anywhere. And this is when the Loop was a bustling place, you know, before the lockdown. Well, to a certain extent, uh, well, when I first got down here in the early, well, I was down here in, uh, well, when I worked for Pullman at 200 South, where we were, 200 North Michigan. Well, the board, was that the Borg Warner building? Was it 200? Somewhere somewhere over there. The other side of, uh, I thought it was... Oh, there. Adams in Michigan? Yeah, but, uh, is that the Borg Warner building? Yeah, well, that's yeah. okay. That's where we were. We were 200 south then. And uh, I mean, in the morning when 
when they had the uh, that really st- stupid mall down State Street. Oh God! Yeah, when there was nobody around at night. When I first came to the trading floor in 1980, I mean, you stayed in the South Loop, but you, if you walked from, you know, the exchanges to to Lake Street after eight o'clock, you were the only person on the street. I mean, there was nobody right. down here. But then all of a sudden, it got very bustling. In the South Loop, with the, with the traders all hanging around, it was always. You, I mean, you never felt afraid then. Of course, you know, I was 28 years old. You know, you're never afraid when you're 28 years old, right? Uh, dumb as we're, we're all young and dumb, right? And uh, but no, I you know, I don't think there was ever a shooting down here that I know of. Yeah. Now that we have it, 11 people in front of my building the last year. You know, we, but the uh, the base case. I mean, I, I plus I don't I don't really don't understand what people are thinking. I mean, I mean you know, I mean you how many you know me for how many years? There's not a more gentle soul on earth in terms of hurting somebody than me, but I know that you have to you have to do something with the bad people. I mean, there's been bad people all the time, and if you give them give them some a lot of uh, you know looseness, they're going to get even worse. And there's there's some fear involved, and you if you're doing something bad, you're going to get caught. And I they had some uh, this African American gentleman was on after these five people got shot. I was talking about. He's talking about we, we need we need to take the back the streets from these people, and, and there's people that think he's wrong. You know I mean, how, how is it that that law-abiding people don't get to protect themselves? I mean, I mean, the, the the answer is not they have no enforcement on these expressways. The answer is they have 20 cars, and if somebody opens up on somebody, three cars open up on them. So if people get the idea that if you start doing that, your your might might your night might not turn out okay. I mean, we're talking about but dealing with people that have no morals. I mean, we're not. We're not. So you, you either have to have. Right now, there is zero chance of being caught. You've you've got to get that up to twenty five or thirty percent somehow. And I think the only way you do it is with increased police activity, not with less. When what am I? I mean, I, I drove home last night. I'm going to say at least seven cars passed me in excess of ninety five miles an hour. Few without plates, couple of their lights off, the usual routine. That, that's actually a pretty good night coming from the south side. Well, you know what? You got to start pulling some people over, John, and you got to put a sign up there that says "speed limit 55," which is a little light. So say speed limit 60, over 70, 150 bucks, over 80, 250 bucks, over 90, your car gets impounded. Duh! If you want to stop it, you stop it. And what what what? What's wrong? The other people get a chance to not get hit by somebody at ninety-five miles an hour. They have rights too. I mean, what am I wrong? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm no law and order guy. But this is crazy, Jan. What am well, I? It, well, you, you look what, what we're up against, though. That there's a whole, you know, belief system now that even, you know, putting a boot on a car because of unpaid tickets is, is just cruel and unusual punishment. That you should be entitled to drive your car no matter what your driving record is. If we can't get behind, you know. The right to boot a car for, for, for just failing to pay your fines or observe the law. We're never going to take the streets back, I can tell you that. Well, Jan, so. those, those people, if, if somebody jumped up in my courtroom with that sort of thing, I guarantee you they live somewhere where none of this is near them, and I would sentence them like, like uh, Jane Byrne to a week on the south side and see what they say. Or make them drive to Dan Ryan home on a Sunday night at 10 o'clock. Do it at least once, and I guarantee you they will agree with me. I, I'm, I'm behind you. Well, you, know, you can't take the streets back unless the bad guys or bad women out there are more afraid 
of the cops and the cops are of them. And that that is completely flip-flop now. I think the cops are with good reason somewhat terrified of having to do their job because they know that they're outgunned and outmanned and that their equipment is probably not as sophisticated as what the gangs seem to have. And even if they were to exercise all of the energy they had to stop something from happening, they'd be the ones that everybody we, we would need be yelling at and be dragged through the mud for it. I, I just, you know, well, we, it's police. We, we just got our priorities totally wrong. Opposite. Totally wrong. And and you know the the weird part is, and I, I don't know what I don't know what people their view of the world is so different than mine. It's scary. I don't know. It's and it doesn't make me right or wrong. But when uh, this is a couple years ago now, we uh, Audrey had. Uh, Anyway, I, th- I think the guy might have just—he might have just died. I'm not sure. But he, he had a, it's a preacher. He's been uh, had a place. Uh, is it 61st in Marshfield? Which which the first black in from Asheville? Is it Marshfield? Uh, first black the, west. Oh, west of Ashland is Marshfield. Okay, yeah. so this, I think his place at 67th and 62nd first in Marshfield. And he had a. He's got the church, old church. You know, and the, the, I, I'm sure it was some other church way back in the day. It wasn't Catholic, though, because Catholic was a couple blocks away. It was St. Theodore's. was a Catholic church. So that's where I used to yep. go with my grandmother. But this, he's had his, his compound, and he's got the, you know, the uh, wrought iron fence for the parking lot and all stuff. People still would, were going there. Well, uh, he was, the son was being a, a 25th wedding anniversary. So Audrey says, we got to go. So we go, and, of course, we're the, we're the only honkies in the place. But, th- but that's fine with me. I don't, I don't care. But I tell you what, all the all the sisters knew the drill. It was like ninety five degrees. They got like three little window air conditioners in the place. They weren't exactly cutting it for the whole church. Everybody brought those big fans. I'm just sitting there sweating, going, "Where do I get one of these fans?" <laughs> but anyway, it was, it was terrific. Guy gave a great service uh, to people. All the people that stood up in the guy's wedding twenty five years ago. Blah blah blah. And I, you know, I had, actually had a great time. And uh, nicest people I've ever met. And and uh, so afterward, I said, "Well, let's." let's drive around the hood here a little bit and see what's going on because my grandmother lived three blocks away well the thing the first thing I noticed was that Limblum High School totally stood out because they put a lot of money into that place and it's now Limblum Math and Science Academy and for a while Jen it was one of the top 20 high schools in the state I think it was, like, it? It was like playing tech yeah and, uh, and the, the, but the building I never I mean I used to walk by it all the time when my grandmother when I was a kid I had no idea how beautiful that building is they totally oh, yeah. they totally cool. they made it all they you know they sandblasted it and everything it's gorgeous and the guy Anyway, but so they have that going for them. But other than that, you drive around the neighborhood and you see, you know, the hoodlum dudes in the car and so forth. And every block, there's probably, you know, I don't know how many, I'd say out of 40 houses, 40 or 50 potential houses, a third of them are empty lots, a third of them are, are boarded up. But then there are a third of them are people that still have these homes and are like living there. You know, the fence and a garden and the whole bit, the garage. And I sit there and go, what about these people? What rights do they have? I mean, everybody, everybody's worried about the rights of the gangbanger. What about the rights of the people that live there? That the, the bullets are flying over their head every night. I mean, those are people. I mean, if they if they have if you have to put a, a machine gun nest on the corner so their their daughter can walk down to the to the store and buy buy something at night and walk home without getting shot, John, you have to do that in this society. You can't say those people are just fodder. That's why they're all leaving, for God's sake. And a lot of them tend to be elderly, yeah, and tend to be you know poorer, you know, than the people who are able to move away or, or found housing elsewhere and don't have to put up with this. They're the people without choices, 
Um, and you know, you can see that there are also you know people without children that are attending the schools, which explains why the schools in a lot of these neighborhoods are also depopulated. Uh, because people with school age children, children have decided this this isn't for me. I, I can either do better than this for my kids. Um, but you know, the people who are left behind are the ones who have lived their lives, raised their families. That they are like vestiges of of what the neighborhood used to survive on and prosper on. And they're completely forgotten in this mix. Well, I can't it, imagine what it must be like to live like those people in a neighborhood where you know, three-quarters of the houses on your block are empty lots now. How come there's a society for for the shooters? There's this, there's, I'm being facetious, but there's a society for the people that are in, in jail. There's a society for everybody. There's, there's not one person who cares about the guy who can't walk down his own block. No. Nobody sticks up for them. Nobody that I can see, you know... In, in the mayoral race, is is does he even wants to touch that issue? It's like you know the third rail or something. Oh yeah. Be- because these people are the ones who really don't have a voice, and whatever the, is going on in their own ward politics, I don't think these people figure in anything, any kind of planning or, or nothing. They are just assumed to be, you know, somehow getting by. But you know what kind of quality of life is that? What kind of support well, that's do they why in the city? Absolutely it, not. That's why the, the 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 flight from the city. The reason why we started this is um, Audrey has like two or three new clients, and a couple of them are I think retired from the city. The minute they retired, I call her up and say, "You got to get, you got to get me out of this city." I don't I don't think Jan, if people you know it's, I don't think that the that the people running surely the press. Has any idea of of what how how the the negativism on this town has turned from the people who are here, and and it's like I remember the I mean Andrew probably didn't remember the show Mash, you know they, they they take the bus and everybody's wounded. If you don't recognize that somebody's got a broken leg, you're never going to fix it. If you just treat them for the pain, I mean if we, if we don't realize that this is a problem and how big it is, how the hell are we going to fix it if we're denial that it's even there? I mean, Lori Lightfoot, to her credit, I mean, of course, she didn't. She should have known it, but she didn't, or did, or didn't want to do anything about it. All of a sudden, there's a hue and cry about the uh, homeless living in O'Hare. Right? So, of course, she says, okay, we can't have a bunch of homeless in O'Hare. People come, it's an international airport. You know, people come all over the world there. So she wants to toss the homeless out of a fair. Well, evidently, there's a, there's a group that's for the Society of the Homeless. Oh, no, you can't do that. Where's the where, where's the society for for the regular people in Inglewood and the West Side? Why don't, why, why don't we have nobody wants to go to the West Side? Nobody wants to go to Inglewood and and see that there are regular people there that have that should have some rights. I mean, I, I mean, we we don't even have we can't even have societies that, that know what the hell they're doing. And why, or is it just me? No, I you know I have you know felt three or four years ago that the, the blue line you know that the, the the subway between O'Hare and downtown had just turned into a rolling homeless shelter, yeah. and I avoided riding it whenever possible. Now it looks like it's it's improved. I mean, the last couple of times I've ridden it, I don't see the same kind of con- conditions I did before. Matt Weber says it, it's still they just dumped the people, all those people at the airport, and it's just displacing people. It, it, there's no solution to any of this. I don't think it makes any sense to have the airport, which is a destination for tourists and business people taken over by homeless camps. I'm not saying that these people don't have a right to live, but they do not have a right to live at the airport. I'm sorry. Well, hey, uh, evidently Mr. Kenny Polkari is on, a, on, a, on an airplane. Would you like to sub for him uh, in 15 minutes sure. after Joel? Sure. Why don't sure. you uh, buzz back? Or we'll, 
Uh, SP Futures down 32. It's not a good morning. NASDAQ Futures down 130. We'll be right back, Mr. Joel and Conan. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Right now. Right here, right there, right now. Hello, everybody. Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Andrew on the board. SP Futures down 31. SP Futures down 119. Dow Futures down 297. Uh, we seem to have uh, the words from the Walmart chairman this morning seem to have uh, thrown a bit of a pall over the retail side. 
you said at the retail uh, the consumer balance sheet is uh, is degrading, which is different than anybody else is saying, but I think he's right, unfortunately. Uh, and he says the amount of savings is going down, and the uh, uh, people are digging into their savings. So anyway, Walmart's down six bucks now. It was only down three. It's down to one forty. Uh, boy, I got a earning spread in there. You can stop going down as far as I'm concerned. It'll go right back up a little bit. But it's got lows down 655. It's got Home Depot down 1350. They're all 3, 4, 5 percent. So it's uh, it's, it's taking a lot of these. Costco is not down as much. only down 1.4, but still down 7 bucks. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, casting a little bit of a, a, a shadow on this retail thing this morning. We'll hear about that from Joel in a second. That was down like 302 now. For Europe, we've got the DAX down 66.4%, FTSE down 16.2%, CAC around on 25.3%, so moderately bearish in Europe, not bad. In Asia, Nikkei down 58.2%, Hang Seng, these guys, boy, oh boy, these guys are schizophrenic, down 357, 1.7, so they went down to 14.5, bounced up to 23.5, and now they're back down to 25. I mean, that's unreal. Shanghai up 16.5% on a wave review Friday, a long time ago. That was up 129, S&P down 11, NASDAQ down 68, so it was a mixed bag on Friday. Uh, Bonds down up 6 basis points, 3.88. Again, are they? Are we going to get the 4 with the Fed keep nudging these numbers up? Like we might. Uh, the Bund up 3, 2.49. Japan, same spot, 0.505, so slightly above the, t- the top target the government says you can go. Oil up 72 cents, 77.06. Brent down 23 cents, 83.84. Natural gas down seven cents, two twenty. Still very low on the natural gas. Arbob up three cents, two forty four. We've got gold uh, down eleven, eighteen thirty nine. Is gold now is kind of mired in the mid eighteen hundreds. Silver up a penny, twenty one seventy three. Copper up seven cents, four eighteen. We've got Bitcoin down one fifty nine, but it was up this weekend, so it's up to twenty four thousand six forty five, which is the highest we've seen that in a while. The U.S. dollar is uh, is down today, which is kind of strange. Has been strong. Pounds back up to uh, uh, 134, and the euro is up to 121. Is making it down 120 and 133. Um, we should have Mr. Joel here in a second, but yeah, these retail uh, numbers today are, uh, or the retail movement is not something that the uh, market seems to like. Uh, so we got you know somewhat of an interesting week. I mean, and then the news-wise, those in here, Biden made a uh, uh, secret uh, visit over to. Uh, hey, Joel, how are you? We got him. I don't hear him. We well, have... hey guys, how you doing? What's up, man? How are you? What's going on with these uh, retail oh, numbers, bud? Oh man, not good, not good. Getting to the consumer. Is the consumer yeah. feeling the pinch a little bit at Walmart and Home Depot? Yeah, I mean uh, they don't like either one of them. It's taking Costco down. It's taking all of them down. But uh, well, the guy in Walmart said that everybody's being pinched. The prices and everybody's yeah. the consumer balance sheets going down. You and I have been talking about that for three years yeah i i just um i mean you can look at those overall numbers uh that have been coming out they just haven't been good for the quarter and i've just been constantly saying that you know from the tech companies and the street really gave um you know gave a lot of stocks a free pass i think the free pass is over um i don't know i turned bearish a couple weeks ago chief i don't know how clearly i stated it uh on your show but uh I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of things that are going on that aren't good for the market. I think we were fooled by the January rally, and uh, I, I think January is going to be the high for the year. I don't know how low we're going to go or what the rebounds are going to be like, but um, 
just uh, the malaise in the market. It's, and now you have this uh, saber battling going on with U.S. and Russia and the China situation. I just, I, I think it's just so, you know, I, I could see being neutral. I can't see being bullish, and I can't see being uber, you know, super bullish. It's just a very tough investing environment, and at least for 2023, in my opinion. Well, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that, uh, well, I guess maybe I'm not because it's been it's been so long, Joel. I mean, when I you know, I guess you, when you and I started the business, the market had been so crummy for so long, just to get anybody moderately bullish was so difficult to do. I mean, nobody really wanted to buy anything in 1982 after we had not moved at all since what 67, damn near. I mean, it was like 15 years of of, lo- of lost of lost anything when you could have been getting eight, ten, twelve. More than that yeah. in a bank, right? So you could never. I mean, what what if you what if it was early 1982 and you were at some cocktail party drinking wine with your pinky straight up because you're always a proper kind of guy? Uh, yeah, that's me. If if you were if you were to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take my money out of a 14 percent CD and I'm going to try and find my mutual fund guy and see if he wants if, if he could find him. He's probably out painting houses, and I'm going to put all my money in the stock market. You'd have been you'd been summarily tossed out of that party. I mean, right? I mean, they said, what, "What is the matter with Joel? What, what's he drinking?" And, and yet, you know, now it's it's all no matter what, no matter how bad things have been, no matter what the issue's been, the last really since almost two thousand, more, more certainly since two thousand and seven, we've had a couple of you know bearish blips, and uh, every one of them is you know it's just an odd buying opportunity. Only the only the shoe clerks get out, all this kind of stuff. I've got people I talk to all the time, and you know they're not money that I'm not managing, but. A lot of people have a lot of dough elsewhere, obviously, and these uh-huh. these these companies that they absolutely love, you know. I mean, the ones we all know, you know, the Amazons, the Apples, and, and you know, they're not. I'm not about to say they're bad companies. I mean, they're not, but they went way the hell down and had this huge bounce off the lows. I mean, not back anywhere near the highs, but still an amazing run since yep. since December. And not one person says, "God, I can't believe I got some of my money back. I'm going to lighten up or I'm going to protect it." Just okay, I'm, I'm looking for vindication. It's, it's still going to old highs. It's just another another bear market that I have to I have to weather. And six months from now, will be you know a new highs again. It, you you cannot talk people out of that mentality. Well, I think you are uh, bit by bit, Chief. I mean, I I think uh, the proof is in the pudding. And I think when. Uh, you know, people see their quarterly statements at the end of March, and after seeing the January, uh, I think that I think there's a turn, and I think the institutions uh, were a little bit late to the game in January. They piled in at the end of January, and so they're still looking okay right now. Uh, but uh, we are actually, you know, we're moving in on that level um, in the S and P. It's just above four thousand, and that's uh, fifty-five handles away. I think. That's the gateway to at least 3,800. I'm not going to go to the, the 3,500 uh, level yet, but uh, that's my next target on the downside. Where you know we had a weak overnight session. Um, you get the you know the punk retail numbers. Uh, the, what's the bond market telling you, Chief? The bond market's telling you, which exactly is what Powell's been saying. You know, uh, the way Powell's been uh, misinterpreting. I mean, his uh, what? Uh, deflationary statement the market ran with that there's a lot of disconnect going on right now chief and uh frankly i'm pretty nervous about it yeah i am too i uh i mean it you know it's at some point that 
whatever whatever happens to be the truth is going to pile in and you know you can only i think you can only go so far when you look at these companies and they say well, we've been able to uh do well because we were able to raise prices which a lot of them have you know come straight out and said the last you know two three weeks right pepsi all these places said we've been able to raise prices more than people have raised prices yeah. to us well that's that's healthy for the company and it's healthy for you if you have stock in it but if every company does that it's it's sort of like the if if if, if joel inc can find a way to lay off 10 percent of his personnel and not let it bother his business which i find it hard to believe yep. those people did something if you if you can do that it's probably positive for you if everybody does that it's not positive for you because all the people get laid off you need to be customers at your place right if they're laid off they're not buying so i mean it, i mean it's you know the one thing too that uh you know try to you know i tried to stay neutral you know and not get super bearish like everyone did was you know the unemployment rate and i was like well you know when the unemployment rate starts ticking up you know then there's more you know more reason more caution to you know start talking about recession well there's a lot of layoffs going on there's a lot of people losing their jobs there's a lot of people are going to have less income there's you know once those severance runs out so uh, they still seem to be wanting to travel and do things like that. It just looks like maybe they're pinching pennies at the grocery store, buying the off-brands or not buying as much. So, there's a lot out there, Chief. We've been talking about it for a while. It's an uh, important day for the market to recover, yeah. too, when you have the, you know, the, you take out the prior week's low well, on Monday, but really did on Monday because uh, the uh, indexes were trading, but... Uh, very important for the market to get a rebound today, Chief. What do you think of the chances? I don't. I'm 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 downright bearish, Chief. I, I I you know I'm not an investment advisor. This is not financial advice, but uh, very cautious on this market. Joel, what do you think? Given uh, I mean, I don't know if you're a Dow theorist. We've never talked about this, so I'm kind of jumping you with this. We only have a minute. Where where, where do you? How do you describe the incredible volatility in the transportation average lately? <laughs> I think there's extreme volatility because uh, of you know of algorithms and the disconnect in the market. You know, I think that the news algos and institutions and all the slow, all the programs, short-term trading, they're just rushing towards the momentum and then they're rushing out. So. Um, I think it's machines, not men, that are that are running these markets. Any uh, any real quick comment on why the VIX VIX is twenty two? It was uh, seventeen two weeks ago. It's a big move. It is. It is. I think you know people are are buying protection. I think you know it. Uh, you had that consolidation up there near the September December highs, and now people they want some protection, and there has been some volatility. I mean, some of these interday moves have just you know ripped your face off and you know that's going to send the volatility up so uh we'll have to talk hoops next week yep. if, my, if my michigan can get off the mat they had a nice win on saturday but uh they got some tough games on the road coming up three of their last four are on the road at indiana at illinois at rutgers wisconsin at home they got to win three out of four and win a couple games in the tournament uh, to get to the big dance so i think sports wrap i think that these big 10 teams deserve to be in and I think they're going to surprise people when they're in. 
I think I think they're better. Than... I I hope you're right. I hope you're right, Keith. So all right. All right, I take care. Go blue. SP Futures down thirty one. Nasdaq Futures down one twenty three. Be right back, Mr. John Flanagan again because Kenny Polkari's on a plane someplace. We'll be right back. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, Give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, Rumpack, Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Andrew on the board. SP Futures down 30. NSA Futures down 119. We like we've stopped coming down, going down here, at least for the moment. Uh, nobody like nobody like the, the Walmart uh, comments uh, more more so than the earnings were good. So it's a uh, little bit. You know, I was, I was kind of surprised, Jan. I uh, uh, is, is uh. President uh, Joe went to a, went to a, a Ukraine in a surprise visit, and I'm thinking, God, did they did they fly Air Force One with a fighter jet coverage all the way over there? The other dude landed in Poland and took a ten hour tr- uh, train ride. Yeah, I, this is supposedly a secret trip. I was wondering, well, who really did know about it? I, this is kind of dangerous stuff, I would think. I, I'm gonna. Without lobbing one out there, because I know everybody thinks you know Trump is Ditka, I'm going to say Trump would never have done that. He would never have gotten his ass on a train for ten hours. Well, I, I wonder. Not so sure. I would. If, <laughs> if, if it even happened that way, Tom, I don't. I don't have. I don't believe half of what we're told about what is going on. I don't on think those guys, the president's movements or anything else. So I don't know that. That would seem to me an incredibly dangerous thing to do. Well, would it be starters. more dangerous than? Trying to fly Air Force One with a fire escort into a dangerous airspace? Well, it, it, it's probably worse. I'll give them the track record we have in this country of train accidents lately. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I want to be on a train. We had we had we had hostile area or potentially hostile area for that long. Um, so I don't know. I, I just I think this is the whole thing strikes me as so foolhardy and you know some sort of a desperate attempt to either distract. The, the news cycle from what's really going on or to create optimism where I don't think there's much cause for it, but I, I, I just look askance at the whole thing. It doesn't pr- doesn't float my boat at all. Why well, don't you and I, this, we very seldom have very basic disagreements, but we have one here. And I, I, I tell you, and I'm not, I abhor war. The more I read about it, the more I, I abhor it. Uh, 
and obviously we, we both lost friends in Vietnam and, and well, I didn't lose a family well I sort of lost a family member he came back with battle fatigue and got all messed up and never was right again and died young uh, but I won't exactly call that a casualty of war I guess although you probably could call it that huh Jen oh uh, sure um, not an official casualty of war but the this I don't I don't see how somebody who's allowed to be in charge of a country that has such a small feeling about pain and human lives even his own there's no way you can trust this guy Putin you can't make a deal with him you can't you well I thought you were talking about Zelensky no <laughs> well I mean he, but he, he, he's not perfect and as Truman said you know he may be a son of a bitch but he's our son of a bitch I mean I mean, but that doesn't that doesn't mean his country, the corruption they have over there. We have corruption here. That doesn't mean somebody gets to come in here and kill everybody. The thing. Well, it's our corruption is my yeah. feeling, Tom. So, but we're, we're protecting, the, you know, the dirt that we've spread around by even, you know, giving lip service to Ukraine, let alone throwing billions of dollars at them. This, but this they, is to screen what we've been trying to get away with. But they don't, they don't belong to Russia. They don't want to be there. And he has no right to go in and kill everybody and take them. And, and, and the thought, and this, I, mean, I really do disagree, the thought that if he was successful there, it's not another place tomorrow. The man is another Hitler. I mean, I mean Churchill was the only guy, and I mean, the, the Queen Mother was against him, Chamberlain was against him, the entire group was against him. He says, you can't trust this guy. You, you, no matter what anybody's no matter what anybody's given him, the next day he does something else. I put Putin right in that class. Now, I don't see why, I honestly don't, don't understand why you don't. Well, I, I, we've been provoking this very war in everything it, we've it, done it with Ukraine. It doesn't in matter. In recent memory. So there's no, no reason to be shocked by it or no reason to expect it would have played out any differently than it did. This is exactly what we're bargaining Jan. for. And instead of uh, cooler heads prevailing and looking for any other kind of settlement other than you know, spending money we don't have that we're borrowing from the Chinese who are working with the Russians. By the way, they're lending could, us could less than we do anything more stupid, Tom? You talk I, about the way, the way we're doing it, I mean, and, and the fact that we got ourselves into a pickle with... You know, it's like the state of Illinois. I mean, when when they had their, the world's best years in the economy, they were still running a de- deficit. I remember saying to Dr. J, what's going to happen when, when the economy gets bad? Well, we've seen that. But my point is, point is John, it, it doesn't matter how much Canada provokes us. They can they can come over and they can, they can, they can screw with our, our, our logging. They can raise prices. They can do whatever they want. And there's no way on earth some president here says, Let's just go take Toronto, and we don't care if we kill half the people there. We, we would never do that. No, but, but we don't have a track record with Canada like Russia has with Ukraine. I, okay, it but, was part of Russia. Ukraine doesn't like to to recall that because it's an unpleasant memory for them. But to the Russian mind, which, which somebody should be thinking about, because this is how a lot of Russians do things, okay. whether we agree with it or not. You're an attorney. Um, it's, 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 it's part of Russia, and you, we might think, no, it's not, but we're not going to win that argument you, with you, Russians. But you, we're not. Well, people believe what they believe what right. they want to believe. This, this is why we have no business in their time, because we have such a blind spot about this stuff that uh, I, now I we're throwing I think billions of dollars and potentially a lot worse than here's, that. Here's, here's my... That we have no business in. Here's my blind spot, is Russia, for whatever reason, I'm not a big I mean, loser, I'm not a huge Russian historian, but they had the uni- Union of Social- Soviet Socialist Republics. All those people, when they fell apart, gave, gave, they ended up splitting all these places off. And this guy thinks that that was a mistake, and he's going to take them back one by one by force. You know what, Jen? You're an attorney. 
and by the way, you're more of a historian than me, I'm going to say if you went through the documents, the entire inside of this country belongs to France or to uh, Spain. Now, would we like that was, it? That was, that was just was, I was going to say. We, of course, would be willing to fight to prevent that from happening. Okay. But, you know. but they, have, they have clear title to the Louisiana Purchase. We bought it from the French, and in the deal between the Spanish and the French was in there, you can't sell it to anybody else or it reverts back to us, from what I understand. And, and the, the French went and, and sold it to, uh, to us. Okay. And, and the weird part of that was, for those that don't know how this transaction worked out, France was going to invade Britain, and they needed some money. So they sold the Louisiana Purchase, which was, what, a quarter of our country to us? Yeah, all the way to Oregon. <laughs> yeah, a quarter of our country to us. And, of course, we didn't have any money. So who do you think we borrowed from? The British. <laughs> so so, so we, we borrowed money from the British to buy the Louisiana Purchase from the French, who had a contract with the Spanish saying, if you ever sold it, it reverts back to the Spanish. And the British essentially lent us money so the French could build a fleet to go attack Britain. I mean, John, we, we know how this works. But the fact is, when somebody says, you know what, uh, I mean, it, this this really is mine. These Ukraines don't belong. I mean, the, the next place will be Belarus, will be Estonia. Why would you think the guy doesn't think that about every place, not just this place? Well, if, if this were the case, you know, we would have been on the losing end of a lot of wars in, in you know in our own history, where we got Texas or you know, the Mexican boundary, yeah. you know, dividing us, and a lot of people never even trucked with that. You know, they, they think that the Mexican War was of, of no consequence in redefining anything. I think we have to behave politically as if it, it had a lot to do with where our boundaries are. And that, although we don't seem to have much of a, a border anymore, that border is something that's, that's got some history behind it. But we wouldn't want anybody else coming in and telling us that we can't defend that border, and we can't you know, even treat it as a border. I, I, I'm not we have no business telling Russia and Ukraine what to do but Jan, you, at all. I'm, I'm sorry, Tom, we just, I just don't I, I, but any, it, any, any way... We had, we had no business in World War One until we got so big we get involved. World War II was the same way. Until all of a sudden, it was on our doorstep. And I, I would go further and say we had no business in World War One. Uh, okay. So I mean, I, and a lot, a lot of wars that we think everything is. This is why we're in Vietnam, Tom. You know what? A complete. And that was that was just lie after lie after lie to justify. Well, it. I, I, I mean, obviously, you and I are part of that generation. Have a whole different view. I mean, I do the same way. I'm, right, but it's forced me to go back and rethink a lot of the wars that we thought. We we had such great stakes involved. But I might have, no, I might have no alternative but to fight. I only got a couple I, of minutes. I turned my back on all that time. But I, I, the whole that whole Vietnam thing. I mean, I ugh, the body counts and everything else. I mean, you and I could talk about that forever. But right, but but you know the the whole the rationale for being in World War One, you know, going in when we did, and after you know four months after a president get reelected because he kept us out of war, we declare war. I mean, there were there were parties all over the place who wanted us in the war in this country and elsewhere, and mostly business people. Oh, sure. Nothing to do with any kind of. Well, every, every war, the same the same group of people make money, and the same group of people die. Right, and this is why yeah. we're in Ukraine. Is my point, Tom? We well, have I mean, no business, I, any more business being in there that we didn't I, fighting World War One. In, in, in a lot of cases, in a lot. Of, by the way, I'm not totally disagreeing with all this stuff, but as this goes on, the fact that Putin doesn't seem to care if he drops ten thousand of his people in a week. The, the man needs. He to doesn't. And, and Lewis talked about this at great length. We don't understand. We don't appreciate, understand, or 
have any respect for the Russian mindset about this you know stuff. What? And this is, this is not, why we're making mistake after mistake. Are you turning into a moral, um, uh, moral relativist on me that if, if you go down and... No, I'm, I'm just saying we should know what we're dealing with, and we pay okay, no but, attention but now that to the kind of emotional the more that reach he, that Putin has and his people. The more the, like I, don't, I don't think his people... The idea that every Russian feels the same way, I don't, I don't buy that from Lou at all. Nobody wants to see their kid get killed. Nobody wants to see somebody with four weeks training get butchered somewhere. The fact that he's doing it to his own people, to me, I might have agreed with you in the, in the beginning of this thing, but now that I realize what kind of a chicken this guy really is, now now I'm like, th- he, he would, he's, he's vile. He's on some kind of drugs. He, he's like Hitler in his last year. I mean, the, the dude will stop um, I would say Biden is no better. Biden is oh, in worse shape than Putin, let's face it. I wouldn't want this, this guy making decisions of, of any kind of well, consequence in a military struggle. I would trust Putin. The people around him doing it better. You know, but I'm just saying. I'm saying we have we have completely misread the stakes here. We've meddled in something that we can't stop. We've done everything possible to prolong it. Nobody is talking about defusing it except Donald Trump. And of course, he gets no credit. For he gets no credit that. for anything but, in my but mind. But the only rational voice that well, I hear. Why? Why? Why have the Europeans now, despite what our people here say, why are the Europeans now? contributing more, they see the danger that Russia is, and they're closer. They're contributing more than we are now, way more. Well, they've got a stake in it that maybe okay. we don't have. Well, we're all part of NATO. We're all part well, of this. Uh, that's something we should have disbanded. But I mean, even, but even, you, you, you can go back, you can make, we got a dash here, but you can go back and you can make a, a case that we gave mixed signals to Saddam Hussein regarding the Kuwait guys, you know, drilling holes over to their side of the border and whatever the hell crap it was. That we, we, we gave mixed signals and, and and some sort of an invasion. Still, Jen, it's it's not the same to send your people loose on somebody else to kill who you feel like, rape who you feel like. We don't do that, and other people that do that have have a whole different mindset, and they always got to be stopped. It's like people. We, we have a, a long history now of the kind of entanglements that George Washington warned us against. And we have just blissfully ignored his advice about. Well, you know what? And, if and, it, and we're we're getting ourselves into things that we can't afford to do, and we have no. Business. I think I think the world right now is a lot better place that we helped out in World War II. Well, you know, it's true with the, with the Marshall Plan and everything else. Had the war been negotiated to some kind of settlement before it became what it did, it would have right, been well, even better. Okay, how many times did Chamberlain negotiate with Hitler? How'd that work out? Well, it didn't work out too satisfactly for Chamberlain. <laughs> but I mean, how many, how many times? He's reviled now. But how many, how many times did people give the guy what he wanted, saying that's all I want? And it didn't work out at all. And I don't think it would work out with this guy. We have a difference of opinion. We'll see. I just hope people stop getting killed over there like pretty soon. It would still not make me convinced we had to be there, Tom, to fight oh. it. So. Well, well, I guess after Pearl Harbor, maybe you... <laughs> I, 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 think, I hope I'm getting older and wiser in my duty. Well, the fact is, those guys declared war on us, as you recall, Germany, which is the dumbest thing he ever did. Otherwise, we we, we would have had real trouble declaring war on them. Well, there's a whole school of thought that we were goading him into doing that, too, because we didn't want it on us. Well, A lot of this is, is, is who did it first. His, I mean, his, this is his, one of the, gen- the great general, things about the you know, negotiations or failed negotiations or pushing people to the brink and then sitting back and waiting for them to make the first move and saying, I didn't well, do anything here. We're good at that. I don't think his generals were happy. Anyway, SP Futures down on 32, NASA Futures down 131. Be right back. Professor Helsner.
This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708 403 2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call. 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708 349 3456, that's 708-349-3456, or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Something happening here. Hello, and welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom on the board. SP Futures down 34, Nasdaq Futures down 135. Do we have the professor? Hey, good morning, Tom. How are you? What's going on, bud? Oh, busy. Uh, fall schedule. I'm creating, uh, looking for an adjunct to teach a class, teaching four classes, trying to figure out how to reach uh, kids post pandemic in an interactive, fun, uh, helpful way in class. So it's just been a busy, busy week. Plus, I'm working on a new article that um, points out that all these anti-poverty policies, no matter how how you look at them, minimum wage laws, price caps, um, subsidies, taxes, however you look at them, it creates a deadweight loss. And the deadweight loss is a uh, measure a theoretical measure of the lost commerce that occurs when these interventions occur. And that harm is felt by the poor. 
people who weren't in the market before. So I'm working on this article. Hopefully I'll have it done by the end of the week. I have a, a, a rigorous question for you from, like, from, from Professor Land, even though I'm not a professor. When, when you do studies like that, and I would say I would agree with you on some level, on most of it, without even, without even seeing it, um, my concern is uh, once you get off the, I mean, if, if my old guys that are all croaked by now, Friedman and those people, they would have given me that sort of a study or an assignment. It wouldn't be a study. It would be a problem and an exam because I didn't have any ability to do a study. Um, they would have said you have to, you have to assume some, si- some sort of economic system, some sort of a society. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not so sure. I, 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 I would agree with you that a minimum wage law, now it depends on how you do it. If you, if you make sure that people under the age of 16 can't work, and you say, okay, you can't work people twelve hours a day, seven days a week, or six hours a six days a week like we used to here. If you take a certain amount, if if you spread the economic power around to where you have a reasonably competitive society, I'm going to agree with you on everything you just said. But the minute you allow people to control huge swaths of it and don't have anything regarding antitrust. I think you almost have to protect the people that don't have any power because you're the ones that let them have no power. Am I wrong? Well, see, the article starts out with a system where government doesn't interfere with subsidy, price controls, taxes. It it starts out at this pure exchange system, the the efficiency argument. And then if you add add a minimum wage, all that does is it, it limits the number of people who are employed, so the employment level falls. The number of people wanting a job increases. I understand. And the firms are demanding, if you think of what the labor demand curve is, if you're a new company and you want to staff your factory, you accept applications. And you put in the queue, in the very first of the queue, is the most qualified person. And the person that is least qualified is got a lower valuation per hour. And that those two dots connected is labor demand. So who are the people who are employed in such a market? The ones that firms value the most. And who are the ones that firms value the least in terms of productivity? Well, right, the I, kids, the low-skilled workers who were educated in their city what, what, what's, what system? So are they're, you, they're still unemployed. What, what system? I think you, you are actually going to have a fairly easy time of it, because actually I, I did some of this God, so long ago, you know. Because yeah. we did some of this stuff in uh, labor economics at Notre Dame, for God's sake. I took a class in uh, labor. Well, labor, labor is the funnest class because no matter what theory you look at, there's all kinds of data you can use to um, support or reject a hypothesis. So there's plenty of data. If you're going to do a dissertation in economics, I recommend either fin- a financial economics dissertation or labor because... A dissertation is not going to get done unless you have data to test your theories. Well, let me let me ask we uh, ask you this one, Ax from the South Side. Uh, do you remember the, the or 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 the slums of London? Yeah, or the slums of London. I'm gonna. <laughs> do you remember the, the the curious case of the Seattle airports uh, regarding wages? You know, I, I that one just I I didn't hear about that one. What went on there? Well, what happened was, I mean, um, Seattle's probably not as as crooked as Chicago, but maybe it is. Obviously, it's not a free market for the restaurants and no, bars. No, no, not at all. No. And for the restaurants. Are and you bars. talking about the restaurants in the airport? Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. So there's a <clears throat> the there's not a free market. I mean, you and I, I doubt if we could just make an application saying, by the way, I know how to pour a beer I want to bar in a restaurant in an airport. And, by uh, the way, they're not a free market because they are protected from the competition of the restaurants outside correct. of the terminal. Right? And, and then you have yeah. to uh, either be well thought of or you have to grease somebody's palm pretty heavy, right, to get one of these spots. Yeah. Or you have to be you have to be well connected to sneak a uh, Chicago style pizza into um, not not uh, what what's the one south of Chicago airport? Uh, Midway. Yeah, you have to be probably connected or grease the wheels to sneak in a Chicago style pizza for your wife through security because I wasn't able to do it. And I ended up having to eat the dang thing. Well, that that could be worse. I mean. <laughs> Well, <laughs> actually, I didn't feel good for the flight. I'll tell you actually, that. Uh, the, uh, I'll give you a quick story. I was uh, my first job. I was at Allied Van Lines, and it had a lot of young ladies there, and you know, there were young guys. <clears throat> In those days, you know, people didn't care who dated who. So, I'm dating one of the ladies at the place, whose name she'll go nameless, but her dad is a judge, right? <laughs> so one day, oh, I get to work. And uh, <clears throat> and I open up the newspaper, <clears throat> and there's her dad's name and headlines. There's a guy who his was a, a, a silent owner in one of the places that had restaurants in O'Hare and Midway. And oh, by the way, he also was the original Mayor Daly's like young law partner <laughs> at one time. You know, <laughs> and now the guy's a judge. <laughs> anyway, so. I'm sitting there reading the headlines, <laughs> and she was not happy because, of course, everybody in the place is giving her grief. This is her dad. And uh, so I'm saying we're not talking about a, uh arm's-length transaction. <clears throat> so now government can do one of two things, and well, do several things. Now that you have essentially stirred the pot, you know, wrong, right? I mean, it's not competitive anymore. Well, you can do one of two things. You can say, okay... Hey, I'm going to give you this bar, but you can only charge ten bucks for beer. You can't charge fifty, you know, or twenty. You can't charge whatever you damn well feel like. I'm going to put some kind of limits on how much you can essentially rape these people, even though they're on expense accounts, a lot of them. Because um, you know, on expense accounts, I'm not care if it's martinis, twenty bucks. Companies pay well, for right. Well, I disagree with that because people only pay up to the willingness to pay, which is the demand. Curve. Well, but once so you, but now you can't charge whatever okay, they want. Okay, but now, but now you, <clears throat> again, when, when you when you do this. I'm just I'm, I love giving you grief because I love what you do I love what you do, but now you can't. You know, the next story is if 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 Hal can charge it to the school, the twenty dollar martini which nobody else is going to buy for twenty bucks is now what for you twenty minus thirty percent, so the martini yeah. for you is only fourteen bucks. Well, you know, Tom, that sounds like healthcare. Is not that how healthcare works? Well, but I'm saying is now. So anyway, with the, the labor thing, before I forget my train of thought, even more than I already have, the council at, at in the Seattle said, "Okay, we've given you idiots this essentially windfall. You're all going to be millionaires in two years. Don't be paying your people twelve bucks or whatever the normal minimum wage is." They tried to pass this thing saying the minimum wage for like bars and restaurants in the Seattle airport was twenty bucks. I mean, don't wow. we're not we're not giving you the right <clears throat> to, for this closed group of people to charge twenty bucks for beer and oh by the way you're paying your dishwasher ten that's not cutting it. So what, once you've created this whatever you want to call it uh, unusual economy uh, fake economy 
then the government says, well, you're going to have to follow it through. You're not going to make $3 million a year because we gave you something and you're paying your dishwasher 10 You've got to pay the guy at least 20 Yeah. Well, I would, I would counter that with, all right, so Seattle just told these business owners they've got to raise their labor costs, which they're probably going to want to... No, not for the whole city. Oh, not for the whole city, just for the people in the airport. I know, I know, exactly, in the airport, right? So the the, uh, airport is pushing up the labor cost of these firms who are charging higher prices. They're going to probably pass that off, that additional expense, off onto the customers in the form of a higher price of a beer, which is already higher. Yeah. Right? But I think what you you identified is what Hayek talks about in the road to serfdom. When government intervenes, it creates consequences, right? And I think the consequences are intended, but I think politicians oh, yeah. claim, well, we didn't intend any malice, right? Now the government's got to do what? It's got to fix each one of those consequences with another layer of regulation and rules. Well, that's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And then it, it blooms in it mushroom clouds, like that chemical burn in Ohio. It mushrooms and covers the whole sky, right? So now... 50, 80, 100 years later, when we deregulate, we're not getting rid of that whole apparatus. We're rolling layer 150. We're, we're taking layer 150 off and going back to layer 149. We still have 149 layers of regulation. Deregulation is not free market Wild West capitalism. It's rolling back a layer of regulation. And well, there's tons of layers underneath that. And then what you're identifying is what Hayek identified and the road to serfdom. Well, I think there's 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 a couple of layers here, and I, you know, it's is uh. Hey, hey, ogres love layers. Yeah, <laughs> onions got layers. Well, I, I think parfaits got layers. But whenever you whenever you give somebody something, it that that is non non competitive. This is where you yeah. and I are absolutely agree on the basic level. Okay. But you know, you know what's 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 uh kind of weird, Hal, is that fortunately for you, you're not. You're younger than me, okay? Uh, and you do a lot of these studies, which, by the way, make a lot of sense. But if you were 20 years older, I'm not saying I am, if you were 20 years older, the examples are right there. They just didn't happen kind of in your lifetime. What you're saying is exactly what happened in the airlines from the 30s to the 70s. Yeah. I mean, the examples, what, what you're talking about, you don't have to do another study. All you got to do is... Is, is is trace the history of various attempts the government has made to do certain things. Yeah, for example, minimum wage laws. The progressive era uh, Republicans and Democrats, um, they intentionally put in minimum wage laws. They were all eugenists. Um, they, they believed the white race was a superior race. Everybody from Irving Fisher to, I think even W.D. Du Bois, was, who was a uh, a black activist, anti-war activist during World War One, who was jailed by Woodrow Wilson. So you have these progressive economists who want to impose a minimum wage to create unemployment. They want to impose the minimum wage to create unemployment amongst the people of color, black people from the South, oh, yeah. Eastern Europeans, Italians, uh, Irish, and the people from Asia, because they thought they were the, not my words, undesirables, the, the mongrel races. So the minimum, that's the history of the minimum wage. Well, it also had to do with my question is my question is if that was the intention back then, is it an unattended consequence today, or is it an intended consequence 
and it is part of what the left calls institutional racism. Well, it's, it's and then if that's true, who's pushing institutional racism? Well, well, well you have to who supports it. Well, I think what I what I would like to see um, somebody do a study on, and I think well, certainly well, you're capable. You've got you've got your peeps. I'm I'm curious to trace a line uh, as to why all of a sudden the the management class now. And again, I, I I would follow your economic arguments on minimum wage. Like I said, I used to do that. Uh, yet something is wrong when you see the management class getting incredibly higher share of, I'll say, the booty than people did 50 years ago. Now, how did that happen necessarily? I mean, why is that healthy or is it healthy? I'm not so sure it is. But I think, you know, again, with my, my history part, Everything you're talking about, you know, all these different. If you if you looked at the history of railroading, not that I you know hail railroad buff, which I am a little bit. Uh, everything that you see happen on the economic side, you can trace right through there. I mean, in the beginning, I mean, you know yeah. this. I mean, when it would when you went to, when you decided you to, to, you wanted to build a railroad, obviously the, the country needed there were no roads, right? So railroading was the way to get there. We have to we have to connect places. Well, there, there were there were, the United States, if you read Thomas Sowell's uh, uh, War on Poverty, or yeah, War on Poverty, he, he, he talks about the geography, the economic geography, and one reason why the United States and Europe um, did exceedingly well is because they had the right kind of geography. Well, sure. If you look at Africa, on the other hand, the, the populations, the, the Arabs on the north and the, the uh, blacks on the south they were separated by the Sahara Desert. Sure. But then if you look at the edges of Africa, there are no natural harbors. Where in Europe you have all kinds of natural harbors and rivers, which were then highways. The United States had the same thing with the Mississippi River system, right? So their geography does play uh, an important role. And those rivers were the pre-railroads. They were the pre- Well, sure they were. Uh, sure they were. But what, my, what I'm yeah. saying is, when you decided you're going to have a railroad, by the way, I'll ask you this: uh, What's what was the first railroad out of Chicago? I don't know. What was it? Went from Chicago to Galena, where they had silver mines. Okay, cool. But what what happened if you went to the government? You said, "I want to build a railroad from Chicago to Columbus." They would say, "Okay," and they would give you a, essentially a land grant. Of X number of you know more yards is more like miles on either side of of the proposed path, and you were get you got to sell that uh, to for money to construct the railroad. You were given the land. You weren't given money. Like even the the, the I and M Canal in Chicago, the, that's why the city of Chicago. You've been here a few times. Is virtually all a grid pattern of streets. You'd say, why the hell did that happen when no other place seems to have that? Uh, well, because they they sold. I think the person who put the or the people who did the I and M Canal got every other square mile in the city to sell or something like that. And they, and they so. But what happens is now, okay, you and I build this railroad from Chicago to, let's say, the Ohio River, the IC Illinois Central. So now you've got the only way to get somebody's corn or soybeans to the Ohio River is on our railroad. So now you've given somebody essentially a monopoly. There's no roads. There's no nothing. So you're a farmer, and the guy says, would you like your corn to go down to the Ohio, the Ohio River? And you go, yeah. 
and they and you say how much and they say how much you got <laughs> right because because now you've you've created this monopoly and, you, and now you can't you can't use the railroad to put every freaking farm I, would, I, would, I would argue it's a government created monopoly because what might have happened in the absence of government giving the that land grant. I don't think that was federal land yet, right? That, that was private property. No, it was all private property. It was long before. It wasn't well, private property. Oh God, no. Nobody, nobody what's owned the it. Mississippi. What's the Mississippi was federal lands, right? With the yeah. Well, I mean, with the uh, Louisiana Purchase. Tw- we just went through that. Twenty twenty percent of all the property in this country was given to the five Western railroads in terms of square footage or acreage. Of course, most of it's worth nothing. But but, but wasn't land. East of the Mississippi, all private. Yeah, but you're, you're talking about the the the, 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 the uh, whatever they use. A lot of it was through mountains and stuff. You know, that's a good question. How I the the, the the first railroad in this country? Can you name it? No, I can't. Maybe uh, the you know or something. The Monopoly. Uh, very close. CNO. It went from okay. Chesapeake Bay to Ohio River. Was the first was the first one uh, essentially granted. Now. But that was all private property, right? I, I, and the, and the uh, person wants to build a railroad it was all between those two no, points it was, it was to all, buy the property from the landowner. It was all along a river. I, I, I was going to say, I, I, boy, I'd love to have a railroad historian. I'm going to say most of the land was not owned by somebody. Now, if you went, went through an area that was, or you went through a town, would, did they have condemnation back then? They probably did. <clears throat> but I'm going to say most of it. We're talking 18... 50 or 1845 how many people lived in Pennsylvania for God's sake you know, along, yeah, along I'm not river. sure about I'm not sure about how the the federal government or how the railroad owner got the land but I think east of the Mississippi they probably had to use some kind of eminent do- domain to confiscate the land for a person wanted to uh, connect I, yeah, but I, I don't a to point B. I don't I don't think anybody was able to get if you had a homestead or something, you were able to, to get land, and, and various states or territories had different ways of doing it. I don't think anybody owned, you know, like 10 square miles where railroad went through. You had a... But matter of fact, the, the latest version, uh, the guys... Boy, talking about wacky stories. You're getting me started here. You know, the, what's what's the uh, the oil uh, thing down in Texas with the, the fracking? Is that the, is that the Bakken? The one down in Texas, or the back and the one up north? I think Bakken is uh, North Dakota. The right, Dakotas. It, well, per, it's a Permian Basin down in Texas, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that Bakken's in the Dakotas. There, there was a, a railroad, a, 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 a alleged railroad. I think it was the Fort Worth and Western or something. Hell, that they said, okay, we're going to go from Dallas. I mean, uh, the Western railroads. I mean, the ones that went, obviously, the ones that went west. You had the Union Pacific was the first one. Then you had the Northern railroads that used the Northern Pass. You had the, the Atchison, Topeka, Santa Fe. They used the pass. There was only like four or five ways to get across the mountains, right? Yeah. And, and then one by Denver, eventually with the Eisenhower, or with the, what's it, the Moffat Tunnel, went through the Continental Divide. Well, that wasn't until the 19, or 1900s. But then there was a Southern Pacific way south. So there really isn't any Western Railroad that goes due west from Dallas or Fort Worth. You either got to go way south to get the, the uh, Southern Pacific, this thing probably wanted to go west from Dallas and probably wanted to hook up with the Santa Fe somewhere in northern New Mexico, would be my guess. But anyway, they they give these guys all this property. Now, what's in western Texas? Armadillos and, and grass and, uh, and rabbits, right? I mean, nothing's there. And 120 mile an hour winds. Yeah, 120 mile an hour. So, I mean, may, maybe <laughs> maybe somebody owns some piece of that property, but I doubt it. You know, if they did, yeah. I mean, so these guys, 
they gave them all this land, right? So they started the railroad. I don't think they made it 10 miles, so they said, screw this. <laughs> we're, not, we're not building. They ended up keeping all the property out. And for years, nobody cared. But yeah, and, and, you know, whatever the ownership was, there was stock in the, the property of whatever this place was. And all of a sudden, they start finding oil there. And I think, I think the people who own the stock have gotten very wealthy on their share of the oil from the Permian Basin because it was it was land that was given to this defunct railroad by the government. And people the, the people who owned it were the people who got it from the government. I mean, as you remember, maybe you don't, but when I first started the trading floor a long, long time ago, there was there was an outfit called Burlington the Burlington Industries or Burlington. And, and the Burlington, when when they became the Burlington Railroad, they split the railroad part off from the mining part, which was Burlington Industries. That Burlington Industries was the the mining and whatever that people did with the land that they were given by the government that they didn't use for the railroad. I mean, so this, there's a huge history. But I'm saying once once you put one one knife in somebody and you say you've got this railroad monopoly, well, you can't say, well, every time somebody wants to ship, you know, corn from that they paid a buck for and then the market value is three, you're going to charge them two. I mean, where you take everything of everybody else, then you then that's what happened. That's when you ended up with all those rate books. You know, you can't do that. Here's what you can charge people for X number of miles. So you had this huge bureaucratic mess in, in uh, Washington that actually every single thing you sent by rail or by truck was priced by the government to make this all allegedly equal because you, you only had a few railroads. There was only one way to get to Galena. It was by the railroad, right? There was only one way to get to New Orleans, well, you know. The reason why there were these, that was all a cartel effort, though, because railroads in the South would charge higher freight rates into the South because the carts, the cars coming out of the South would be empty. The cars going to the South would be full, and so the railroads were charging uh, shippers or people receiving product from the North higher rates. And so the people that were shipping into the South were complaining, right? But then... Uh, people that had to ship their goods long distances, they got huge discounts because that would fill up the cars over long distances. In well, well, that's what the people people shipping short distances got higher charges because once that stuff was offloaded, there's nothing on the on the car. So there are reasons for different uh, right. But once the ICC once the ICC got involved, all that sort of stopped. I mean, not all of it, but because you 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 didn't really want to listen to anybody. Sorry, you didn't want anybody's BS regarding uh, if I ship corn to Springfield, it costs me as much as it does to L.A. <laughs> from some wild well, story. The ICC, if you really think about what the ICC did, it's just price controls. Yeah, so you absolutely. Have, uh, a cap on prices or a full on prices. Well, right? and that creates scarcity when, when it, when, and surpluses. In in the beginning, it was a cap on prices to protect the people. Using the railroads, but it well, I but think it was a cap to protect the. Uh, well, actually, it was a price floor to protect the no. incumbent no. Uh, railroads from the entrepreneurs jumping in and seeing these margins. No, so you, it was actually. A, okay, how, how do you? How do you? How do you? How oh, can no, you? Be it, was, an, it was a price cap. You're right. It was a price cap. How can you be an entrepreneur railroad? But I'm saying in the beginning, just just like all this stuff, just like you're. you're uh, your, uh, you know, your Commonwealth Edison's of the world and your people's gas. In the beginning, it's designed to protect consumers. 
but over a long period well, of time. That's what they say. Well, that's what they say, but it was really an effort to protect uh, the incumbent firms by pre- uh, preventing competitors from jumping in if you cap the price. Yeah, but that's the point is there are no incentive for an entrepreneur to jump into that market. That's what I'm so saying. Yeah, but there are no a way to protect the entrepreneur, yeah, the, uh, the incumbent firms. The, the part you're missing is there are no competitors. There's still only one. Well, there would have been. There would have been if if this regime didn't exist. All because right, explain to me. These railroads have monopoly power, and yeah. therefore they have these huge margins. And entrepreneurs see that, and they want to jump in and build a railroad maybe 50 miles away that goes parallel to it. Yeah, but you're not going to do that because you're not going to get the... First of all, you don't need two. And secondly, you're not going to get the land. But that, that's the argument that I use against con laws for hospitals. Hospitals will say, we don't need a competitor, and they'll issue a competitor's veto right. with a con law, and then we end up in a situation in the pandemic where we don't have enough... Oh, what's up, you yeah, but it's a hell of a lot easier to build a hospital than it is a railroad. I know, I know. But if an entrepreneur wants to purchase property from private landowners to put down a competing railroad. But that's that's my whole might have said he can't. But that's my whole that's my whole point is when you give somebody a monopoly in the beginning, it ended up in when you okay, let's use Commonwealth Edison. You give them a monopoly and then but the beginning you say you can't charge anybody whatever you damn well please. This is what you can charge. Enough for you to be maintain a fair profit and we're gonna regulate you. You let us know what your expenses are and we're going to look at all that stuff. We're going to add a certain amount of profit. And we're going to make sure you're okay, but also that you don't just rape everybody. But over time... Well, I think in Chicago, I think in Chicago, at one point, there were, I think, eight suppliers of electricity. There might have been suppliers. They had a, they had a market system. There might have been a suppli- And the incumbent firm, yeah, the, the, the incumbent firm, the big one, wanted, or the one that was connected, wanted government to well, give him... A monopoly, and that's when they started doing these public utilities. Well, you, you know, you, the last thing you want is eight different gas lines down the middle of the street. So there may have been different parts of the city that had competing people. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure that would be the case because in cellular telephones, there isn't a T-Mobile tower, a Verizon tower. Phone calls go through towers. Okay, so but I think there would only be one pipeline I, or I, one electrical line. I, well, all right, but if there's one pipeline, somebody gets to control it. Commonwealth Edison is saying, yeah. we put it in, it's ours. And oh, by the way, if, if you and I wanted to have a, Commonwealth Edison doesn't have a pipeline, they got big wires, but if, if, if you and I had a, a gas company, they're not going to give us permits to tear up 400 miles of street but, to put our lines in. But you know, maybe, maybe we only need two gas lines, right? We need at least two gas or lines. The other if, we, if we have two suppliers... If we have two suppliers, that's enough to keep prices well, down and quality up. As Milton Friedman would have said, maybe the government should own the gas line and people should compete for the ability to put gas into it, which is another way yeah, around. That's, but that's that's what happens with cellular towers, right? Well, if Verizon puts but, up a cellular tower, they don't block T-Mobile customers from using it. Well, because the guy who owns the tower can run it to both. Anyway, SP Futures down 33, NASDAQ Futures down 127. We come back. Hal's going to tell us when... Uh, the parts of society doing well and the parts of society not doing well are going to somehow match up here, if they are. By the way, Walmart's only down 374 now. It was down 6, so it's coming back. Be right back. Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading 
ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know, all while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities. They play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and try to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, and welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Howe. And we're on the board. SP Futures down 33.50. Nasdaq Futures down 127. Dow Futures down 332. Even though Walmart has come back and been down 6, only down 4. But Walmart's words this morning regarding... Uh, the consumer being uh, having its balance sheet degrading and them looking for the future not being as, as bright, even though they did very well in the last quarter. Uh, it's taken. It's got Home Depot down twelve seventy five. That's four percent. We've got Costco down six bucks. That's only one point two percent. We've got Lowe's down almost six bucks. That's three percent. So some of the retailers are getting uh, smacked here quite a bit. Uh, over in over in Europe, we've got. I think the only thing I've got everything in the Dow down here. Uh, before market, the DAX down 56.4%. These guys aren't down very much. FTSE down 25.3%. CAC around down 23.3%. So not very much at all there. Uh, in Asia, the Nikkei down. Of course, they were open yesterday, so I'm not so sure what they did yesterday. I suppose I should look. Maybe they were down yesterday. Nikkei down 58.2%. Hang Seng down 357. It's 1.7%. And trading this thing would be wild. Back down to 20,000 more a day like that to be down to maybe under 20,000. 20,529. Shanghai up 16. 3306. So this is uh, a couple times in the last week where Hang Seng and Shanghai have gone different directions. Uh, Friday was a mixed bag. Dow up 129. S&P down 11. NASDAQ down 68. Uh, the bonds, 10-year up 6 basis points, 
3.89. The Bund up five basis points, 2.51. Remember, well, remember like three weeks ago, it looked like it was going under two, and now it's not. It's back up to over 250. Japan unchanged at 0.50. Uh, oil up 57 cents, 76.91. Brent going the other way, 50 cents, 83.56. Natural gas down six cents, 220. Our Bob up three cents, 244. We've got gold down again, but not as much as earlier, down 740, 18.42. Seems very good at home here in his middle 1800s number. Uh, silver up five cents, 21.77. Copper up seven cents, 4.18. Bitcoin down 140, but whole number here 24,665. So they must have been up yesterday and over the weekend. It's the highest we've seen that in a little bit. And we have the U.S. dollar, uh, which is now mixed. It's actually up a little bit versus the euro. Euro's at 107, and it's, and it's uh, down almost seven, uh, 7 7.7% against the pound. Pounds up to 121 again. Andrew, what do you got for us, Travis Weather Sports? All right. It is uh, 7.38 here in Chicago on February the 21st. Uh, starting off with sports, it's got some hockey from last night. Uh, the Blackhawks beat the Maple Leafs. Or sorry, not from last night, from Sunday night, because we skipped Monday. Uh, Blackhawks beat the Maple Leafs 5-3, and the Coyotes beat the Blue... I cannot read my own handwriting here. Jeez, Louise, I'm sorry about this. Uh, the Blue Jackets, the that's Blue it. Blue Jackets. Come on, come on, come on. The Blue Jackets. You <laughs> I gotta, know like, your, gotta know your hockey teams. <laughs> I. That's what I thought, and I read that, and I was like, I don't know. It looks like I put something completely It's the different. Columbus Blue Jackets. <laughs> my, my relatives uh, there have season tickets. Uh, well, yeah, but I didn't, but I didn't say it already. They won, uh, Coyotes won 3-2. to two. Um, over in Chicago weather, we're currently at 29 degrees. Uh, very nice and clear skies today, but also going to be pretty windy. Uh, later today, pretty later today, we're going to have a high of 36. Over in Phoenix, uh, skies are at 54 degrees, partly cloudy, and they're going to have a high of 68 today. Now, finally for Chicago traffic, um, no major accidents to report, uh, at least on the... Actually, no, things have cleared up, and it looks like accidents have cleared up. Uh, so, yes, no accidents to report. Right now, just a lot of traffic going inbound to the city, especially if you're coming from the north side. Uh, the Dan Ryan and areas around it are basically completely in the red. So expect delays of coming in from the north side. That's we, all I we got. Saw, we saw that coming in. Yeah. Yes, hey, we did. Say, Hale, uh, if you're an observer or believer, and, and by the way, everybody's observations sure as hell aren't the same as mine. We've, I mean, I... I, I hey, I'm in a club by myself. Well, so. yeah, I just... But, you know, yeah, the island is lonely. But I, I will say this, though, just to kind of summarize... If, if you dig through, and I'm not asking you to do this, if you dig through the history of railroading, every single nefarious act and weird weird pull and in, in, in any sort of a oligopoly, cartel, monopoly kind of kind of little trick was used in that industry in the first hundred years. It's almost like fetishes. Well, I agree, 100%. Yeah. It's almost like fetishes. You know, you can't, allegedly you can't think up a new fetish because people have already thought it up before. There isn't. I mean, the, the, the crap that Enron did is the exact same thing as the guys who ran the Central Pacific did. Exact, if I separate this off into another company where I'm a bigger piece of it, and we'll bankrupt the first company and make the second company rich. I mean, it's, it's all right there. I, mean, I think I, I agree with that 100%. I would argue that it was government action that led to the monopolization, because it's always government action that leads to cartels. And oh, yeah. Monopoly, well, because over the long run, Entrepreneurs seeing those monopoly profits, those margins, will jump in. Well, before and you blame, provide a competitor to that monopoly. Before, before you blame everything on government, read about some, <laughs> read about, read about a guy that could could be your idol, 
a guy named Jay Gould. You ever hear that name? Jay Gould, yeah. Uh, now, there was a guy that was... Murray Rothbard, Murray Rothbard uh, writes about him extensively. He, he yeah. made... He made progressive era. He made Boris Batinoff and, and, and Joaquin Bunkle seem like a saint. I mean, he, well, a lot of people thought Michael Blurry was the, the villain. I think of Michael Blurry as the hero. And I have a different view on Jay Gould. <laughs> the guy basically screwed with every single railroad, messed everything up, got in, got involved, got one to got one to bought one from another place, borrowed the money, then didn't have enough, then they both went under. I mean, the the the, the, the landscape of failed railroads is is just filled with he, with his name. He's like the guy who took over the Tribune and then screwed it all up. What? Actually, I think I think the railroad failure is a result of them trying to cap prices through a government, uh, trying to keep prices high through a. Uh, uh, cartel created by government um, to keep and to keep uh, competitors out. So they, they, they want to do basically the railroad cartel is the model that the banking system used in the Federal Reserve System. Both, in my opinion, um, are government created cartels. But he forced. But he was. He was. Your, he was like your. Uh, what do they call? They used to call the big firms. He was a conglomerate guy. He'd borrow one to the other and then cheat saying he'd made some dough in a place, then yeah. he'd sell that one off. He did everything he possibly could to screw with everybody for his own Well, I think I think he was trying to I think he was trying to jump into a heavily cartelized industry because these railroad companies um had high margins and he was just trying to get into it, right? And sometimes when you're trying to get into such market, you probably have to over leverage yourself. I think that was just an artifact of the forced cartelization of the railroad system through so the I- ICC and so let's uh, let, let me get this straight. Of it. Let me get this straight. In the first hour, I was arguing with my buddy John Flanagan regarding how we all just misunderstand Putin, and he's really not a bad guy. It's we're the people that are messing with him. <laughs> and now in the second hour, no, Putin's a bad guy. Putin's a bad guy. Now, 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 in, the, now in the second hour, I'm arguing with my buddy Hal <laughs> regarding Jay Gould. Jay Gould was really a philanthropist. Jay Gould. So Jay Gould might have been a ba- I mean, he could have been a really horrible guy. <laughs> I uh, think he was. Horrible guys trying to break a cartel can I, actually be he, a good guy. He was. <laughs> I, I, now I know why he kept his shirt buttons, because his heart was going to pop out of his chest if he didn't. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, Putin, Putin's a bad guy, but I'm not saying uh, Ukraine's president, Zelensky, is a good guy. I think they're both bad guys, and both Ukraine and Russia were the, two of the most corrupt nations on the planet before this war. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't so, disagree with that. Yeah, but I mean, it doesn't. But when when the when I, I just put a big big difference between I don't like people stealing, but I'd rather have people stealing. When you start shooting, it's you know it's it's different. You don't come back from that. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, well, I, I don't know how much of a I'm, I'm trying to do a little bit of this. Hell, I'm trying to. Dig more into the economic history of the twenties, and the reason why I'm I'm uh, interested in that area is because people's view of it, according to William Kennedy. Again, I keep trying to say that uh, one of these days, I know you got a bazillion things to do. You should read at least parts of uh, William Kennedy's *A Time for Truth*. Uh, but anyway, he, he talked about the, the economics during the twenties and said that it, well, he didn't say it was like now. I read this thing a while ago, but he said it. Everybody thought if you, the people's view of the twenties, the go-go twenties. You look at the advancements in aero, aerospace. You look at the advances in automobiles. And there, there's there's never been a, a decade like that in terms of what you know. You went from 
you know, cars you had a crank, and at the end of the, at the end of the decade, you got people riding around in Duesenbergs, right? I mean, it would be an amazing difference. Well, I think it's just because of the markets, right? I mean, that's why John D. Rockefeller, I think he lost his market share because he is focused on kerosene. He thought cars were the toys of rich people, and so he didn't see that coming disruption where gasoline was going to take over kerosene. Well, gasoline took over and, and, and motor yeah. oil, where yeah. motors could actually Ford, Ford, Ford invents the, uh, the assembly line, and all of a sudden, everybody can buy a car, right? But, but you look at the and then because Ford is making profit, entrepreneurs jump in, and there were there were tons of automobile companies, right? One of these but days, a lot of them got purchased by General Motors. One of these days, if if you have a day and you're crisscrossing the country like you do, stop at, in Auburn, Indiana, and go to the Auburn Duesenberg Cord Museum. Oh wow, that'd be cool. You would yeah, be. I like that by the way, if, I'll meet you there because doing it with you would be spectacular. The amount. Hey. The amount of likewise, you need to go to Rigby, Idaho, to see the invention of the TV museum. Really, Rigby, Idaho. Yep, he was a potato farmer. Idaho is kind of a trek, though, to do something. You could actually, (laughs) but the TV museum is like a diner's drive-ins and dives. It's like a must-do. Well, they don't call the Indiana Toro the main street of the country for nothing. I mean, you'd you'd be driving across Indiana for a myriad of reasons. Anyway, the there was something like. Everybody thinks that, that Detroit was a, was the the fulcrum of uh, car manufacturing. I mean, it really wasn't. It was Indiana. Indiana at one point had like twenty six manufacturers of cars. Now they didn't all. They were more like coach makers, where you'd buy the the motors and the front ends and all that stuff, and you'd just, you'd make the coach. You just you just basically just attach your axles and stuff to it. But it was there were all kinds of people that were involved in the in this in the business and uh, making different parts and different this and any other thing. But but some of the the dramatic increase in in your efficiency of of uh, motors was in the was in the dramatic increase in the how good oil is. I mean, if you, if yeah. you put if you put oil from fifty years ago into a modern motor, you're going to burn it up in probably a week. Oh yeah, I mean, it's not even, not right. even close. Um, anyway, but uh, we're well, if you, if you put if you put gasoline uh, from today into cars into a car's gas tank. In the fifties, you're going to uh, burn up the heads because the lead in the gasoline was needed to soften the blows of the valves right. hitting the soft metal of the cylinder heads. They didn't, they didn't, have, they didn't have hardened valve lifters. Is what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, we we just blew over most of our people's face, but our heads. But that's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, love, I love. I can fi- I can fix cars. I fix HVACs. I've become an expert on single pipe. Radiator steam systems. By the way, you could, house you, you could use today's gasoline as long as you put a couple of drops of lead in there. Yeah, you could, yeah, yeah. But unleaded, you, unleaded gas was a big thing because um, lead in gasoline was not uh, helpful. It, harm, it was harmful to your health. And they came up with new innovations so that they didn't need to let, like, harden valves and seats. But, but the, what the lead did is, if you have a catalytic converter, this, this was in our lifetime, also. A, lot of yeah. people don't, a catalytic converter, your car produces what? Carbon dioxide, correct? Yeah. Uh, carbon no, dioxide, carbon, carbon, carbon monoxide, no, it, and it, it, there's some unburnt fuel. Yeah, it, 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 no, your, your, your car produces carbon monoxide, and your catalytic converter yeah. essentially turns that into carbon dioxide. Yeah, which okay. Is, yeah. Which is you know, what plants use to grow. But uh, anyway, yeah. but where I started this is uh, William Kennedy's point was you went through an entire decade where if you look back on it, 
uh, all you think is the dramatic increase in the market and the cars and the, and the airplanes and all this stuff. Well, and, think uh, about all the conveniences that, uh, the you know, women, uh, traditional house uh, wives, oh, sure. um, think about all the innovations that made their lives easier. Well, you had electric their power. Life, you had electric power. Wives' lives are horrible in the 1800s. But you have all these innovations that made their lives so much better. Well, you had the washing machine, the electric washing machine. But yeah. boy, my grandmother had one of those. And the, with the, with those, uh, you had the, the roller where you had to put your stuff through the yeah. roller. Oh, God. My grandmother had one of those. Oh, God. I mean, the washing machine was fine. My grandmother also had one of those belts that went around your waist and it would shake oh, God. the fat away. <laughs> or, or try to. <laughs> anyway, but the point his point was, if you actually look at the numbers, the gross numbers showed incredible growth. Yep. But the, but the but if you actually dug through, you said thirty forty percent of the of the population being uh, miners sharecroppers you name it were really in a total depression the entire decade and another forty percent were in some sort of a recession that only really fifteen twenty percent basically kicked ass during the and that the top the top one and two percent was supposedly even today. The biggest split ever between the top one percent and the rest of the country was in right before the the crash of twenty nine, and look where look where that ended, and I think you have sort of the same situation now. And I mean, hell, if, if you go to the difference between places where family joints are closing, and you look at, I actually was out this weekend a couple times. I am stunned by the prices in some of these restaurants. I mean, absolutely stunned. Oh no, yeah. I mean, it it, it is so far beyond anybody's. I mean, I uh, went on Sunday because uh, we had the day off with a place in the Burbs, which I'll go nameless. And uh, this guy likes the place, and he's you know he's got, and it's in a real you know it's in a, an area that's pretty wealthy. And uh, he, this guy always likes to buy dinner, right? So okay, so I try and sneak around him at least a little bit. So we get there, or I get there a little early, and we sit at the bar and have a drink there. And when he comes in, at least the first round I buy, so. Two glasses of wine and a, and a and a vodka drink. Guess what the tab was? Two fifty. No, well, this isn't this isn't windows of the world. It was forty eight bucks <laughs> plus oh, forty eight. Okay. And, and, and of course, you got to leave a nice tip. So it's like, geez, yeah. I just spent sixty bucks for three drinks. I'm like, what? What? Wow. You know, 20, 20 bucks for the glass of vodka. What the hell kind of vodka oh, was man. that? You know, what, what what are we talking about? And plus, I only I had the. The house Chianti, which was ten bucks, so I'd read something else. I'm like, what are we doing here? We're talking about it. The yeah. minimum wage you say is too high. We just blew through five hours of minimum wage on three drinks. That's a little. I rare. know. I mean, well, we're not even. Weekend, on Sunday, I heard my wife telling my mother-in-law that Chris wants to go. Her brother wants to go to his birthday dinner. He's at Columbia at Juniors in Brooklyn, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm having a heart attack because I got. A family of six, Chris and my mother-in-law, and I'm just praying to God that my mother-in-law wants to cover the bill. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's, it's <laughs> reaching. It would have been four hundred dollars probably. Well, I stopped Friday night at this one place. I don't usually go, but my gang was not around. It's ten bucks to park in front of the place for an hour and a half. You know I mean, wow. we're, we're we're at you know we're at, we're at the level here where I don't I think my question to you is a long way of getting there, which is my habit, I guess. What all of a sudden caused the clash? In the twenties, that ended up in the, the you know in the uh, the economic crash and the pre- what what actually caused one group to meet the other and clash? 
because I, I think we've got almost the same thing going here, where the top one or two percent really is making all the dough. That's why you and I were clashing earlier. And what what how did Pullman go from the guys on the on the assembly line being able to make twenty twenty two grand a year, and the chairman making two fifty, which is roughly ten times more? How did we go from there to in a lot of these factories? I mean, at Ford. The people are now making, I'm going to say, 40 bucks an hour. And I get benefits and stuff, I get it. Making 40 bucks an hour. So say they've doubled, say tripled in the last 40 years, 50 years. Yet the person at the top, instead of making 250 grand, might be making 8 million or something. I mean, how did, how did and the same people with the, you know, the CEOs and all these guys, how, how, did, how did that split all occur? And, and is there an, an innate collision coming someplace? Hell, I mean, I mean, your, your paper is somewhat worried about how the person uh, is making twelve bucks by government edict and should be making eleven uh, by by the market. Well, I'm not so sure there is a market. I mean, the management class that Eric talks about that's that, that seems to think they they run everything, even though they're not owners of the place, they're not inventors, they're not the people that design the drugs. He thinks that they're making way more than that that money belongs either to the owners or to the people further down the scale. How does how does this is does it create a clash? Am I just wrong? Uh, does it just go on forever? What happens here economically? See it's twofold. There's the central bank story and then there's the federal government's interventions in the market. So in the absence of markets, right? At that at that market price, you can buy what People who want to buy at that market price can buy it. There's no shortage. There's no surplus. So that's called efficiency. And when you introduce a policy like a minimum wage or a price cap or a price floor or a subsidy or a, uh, well, not a subsidy, but a, a tax, what ends up happening is at the efficiency point, at the market uh, solution, at the market price, you have these, you have the incumbent firms in there. And then you have these, what are called marginal firms. The incumbent firms have, have been established. They have economies of scale. They have low per unit cost. But then you have these marginal firms they're competing against, the mom and pop grocery stores. So in the grocery industry and grocery market, you have the Walmart and then you have the bodegas in the neighborhoods of Brooklyn, right? So when government imposes a policy like a price cap, a price floor, or a tax, or, you know, some kind of ban, what ends up happening is those marginal firms are eliminated, and what you're left with is just the big boy. And this is why Walmart, Amazon, and McDonald's don't oppose minimum wage laws. Because if the minimum wage is raised nationally, which makes no sense for Utah, it won't, it'll have a huge uh, impact, negative impact in people in Wyoming. It probably won't impact people in Europe because the cost of living is different. What, what so causes... When, these, when these minimum wage laws are raised, it eliminates all of these uh, local operations, these small businesses, and all you have left are the big boys. But what causes the competition, to get back to the wage issue, where somebody who makes, you know, God knows what, or people who are on CNBC make a lot, maybe they shouldn't, but they do, uh, to come out and say, well, you know, this is... See, my, my view of the minimum wage law is, is it's, it's political. You know, and the, and the, and the smart politician 
if he realizes that the market wage well, political football, yeah. But if he, if he realizes the market wage is fourteen, you should be the first guy on earth, and I would be too if I was in office, to raise the minimum wage from nine to eleven. Knowing I'm not doing any good anyway, but but, I'm, but I get a lot of press for it. Oh, politically, it'll score your points, but it will have no effect. It'll have no effect. That's the beauty of it. States, yeah, in states, in states where the market wage is eleven, it'll have no effect. Well, right. in, in a state like Wyoming, where the wage might be eight, it'll cause unemployment. Well, that's the thing. You got to be careful. You don't you don't raise it above the market wage because you screw everything up. I'm agreeing. With, but my my point is that you you'll get people from. I don't, I'm not going to use Walmart as an example because I just saw the guy today. They they're going to say, boy, you know, if I can get this person to work for eleven, you're really you're really killing me if I got to pay him twelve. Yet they never go out and say, okay, we're paying our CEO or a CFO three mil or something. Let's 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 go to some let's put an ad in the Wall Street Journal and say, need an MBA, need this, and we're looking for a new CFO, and we'll pay five hundred thousand. We don't ever have three good applications come in and fire the guy you're paying three million. He thinks he's worth it. The, yeah. the, the management class, somehow or another, is not competitive anymore. They're, they don't, they're not playing by well, the same rules. And oh, by the but, way... But if you look at it, if you look at it, when you in, institute these policies that you're trying to help the poor, but in fact you're hurting them because it reduces employment opportunities by killing all these small businesses off. And so the poor people have less opportunity than they would have otherwise. Meanwhile, you got the Fed creating all kinds of new money. What do rich people do with low interest rates and easily accessible credit. They go out and buy stuff on margin. They buy Bitcoin. Oh, yeah. They buy homes. They buy real estate, commercial property. They buy stocks on margin. What do poor people do with low interest rates who don't have opportunity? Well, first they of all... They use credit cards at 0% to buy their groceries at Walmart. Well, first of all, the, 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 the rate of interest never dropped for the poor people this whole time. You still were paying twenty yeah, percent credit yeah, card. Exactly. So when you when you push them into credit cards because they have no income, or they're working two jobs and they have no, no time for their kids, and their kids are not parented, right? The kids uh, don't have their parents at home because the parents are working two jobs, and they got credit card debt up the yin yang because the Fed has created inflation to benefit the rich, and they're using credit cards to put food on the table, which is why Walmart is doing pretty well. It beat inflation. Home Depot did it. Home Depot sales, if you adjust for inflation, are negative. I would, so, I would, yeah, but I would, I would, I would bet you since this thing all started, Home Depot had way more pricing power than Walmart. It's way. I mean, it does, yeah. but its sales are down, which means demand for uh, wants is down. Yeah, because the demand for needs is still there, but the needs are so expensive. The Walmart does people, have people even middle class people are buying groceries at Walmart. The Walmart in Chicago has tremendous amount of competition. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure in some small town they probably don't. Anyway, I'll, thank you very much, buddy. Have a good week. Hey, uh, keep all us right, up keep us up on all his research. If you want any help, what is, maybe we'll talk about this adjunct professor. We got a few people here who would love to do a combo. Yeah, I would love for them to join me. All right, bud. Uh, are they going to throw stuff at me? Are you going to adjunct you could do it. I'm you thinking, could teach our finance class. Well, a couple of my guys, uh, Roy, who was at an MBA from the University of uh, Notre yeah. Dame, he said if I did it, he'd do it. Yeah, yeah. I've talked to him. Yep. It's Roy, Roy'd be great. I'd, I'd do some. S&P yeah. Futures uh, down 40 now. Ouch. NASDAQ Futures down 150. That'll look like a good day. Back tomorrow, Stacks and Jacks. To you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. 
trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProdirect.com. Nadex, offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Chiromed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.